so this is Dark Days Radio episode number 122, because they will have just been recording today as well, episode 121, uh, where they're doing a secret frequency. So we're here, uh, it's Chris and James, and we are going to be talking about uh, Warcry, because that's the latest uh, Games Workshop uh, war game, skirmish game that is uh, out for the last month or so that I've been playing and James has just played his first game of so uh, before we get into that uh, James what have you been up to gaming wise oh wow so uh, I've been playing uh, it's, been, it's been a busy week, busy month for video games I've just uh, I've absolutely smashed Iceborne um, and I've also completed Borderlands 3 already so oh, right. I'm sporting and safe there um, <laughs> so what's Iceborne? Uh, Iceborne is the expansion to the like, fabulously popular Monster Hunter world. Um, it oh, introduces okay. a big frosty environment, a whole bunch more monsters, um, and uh, more stuff to disassemble and turn into hats, uh, which is the best thing to do with monsters, really. Cool. Um, <laughs> uh, and other than that, I've been getting to the end of my D&D campaign. Uh, right. Uh, Cool. How's that been going? Use. Um, it's good. Last session, I made some homebrew rules for a giant mech made out of skeletal remains to fight a giant like flesh octopus. Um, so you know, like it's difficult to get my group to actually engage in combat. And this session, they were very happy to fight things in a giant mech. Uh, but now they want that to be the campaign. So I have to. Oh right. <laughs> You're gonna have to destroy their toys. Yeah. Right, okay. Um, we're not going to cover the news section because uh, that will be mostly um, covered by Mike. Uh, the main thing that's really going on news wise right now is currently, as we record, has been like the first 48 hours of the Deviant Renegades Kickstarter from Onyx Path, which is a new game in Chronicles of Darkness. So um, I've backed that, not for a hard copy, because shipping is getting prohibitively expensive. Um, but uh, yeah, we're going to talk about that, I'm sure, more on another episode when we've read some of the some of the other stuff. Uh, obviously, if you can hear this, we're sat in a cafe while recording this, so we'll see what we can edit out and uh, clear up the audio on this. Okay, so Warcry is a game by Games Workshop. It is a skirmish game. Uh, currently they've released uh, the box game, the six warbands, that are all Chaos Warbands. They've brought out one, two, three terrain kits, all the cards you need for it. So you can get into it either by buying the box game, which is always cost effective, or you can buy things individually. And also you can play using different warbands built from different factions. So there's um, oh, uh, Night Haunts, Undead, um, Stormcast Eternals, uh, Goblins, Orcs, uh, Witch Elves, uh, Elves. Di Deepkin. Deepkin the, yeah, so it's... So we've got all of that. Um, and then what Warcry is, Warcry is... Um, Basically, the idea is if you're just playing the Chaos Warbands, because that's really what the, the focus of the narrative is, is you are Warbands adventuring through the all the, through the eight points, and you are trying to gain glory and renown so that you'll be turned into an exalted champion, like you'd be blessed by Archeon and the, uh, the by, by the forces of Chaos. Uh, and essentially become warriors in their bat in their fight against the gods of order and Sigmar and take over the mortal realms. So the warbands you play are not aligned to any particular chaos god, but they have a theme in the sense you've got the untamed beasts who are all about monsters and, and, and bestial savagery. They're from the mortal realm of Gore. Uh, you've got the um, Cypher Lords, they're from the uh, mortal realm of, uh, I want to say light, so actually they're very secretive, which is why they're all ninjas. Ah, um, 
the iron golems are from the mortal realm of metal and that's why they've got like they're called iron golems so like heavy armor and uh they and the nice thing about the warbands they're not just humans turned to chaos they are they feature monsters and creatures and fighters from all aspects of the age of sigma world so for example the iron golems have a a model which is clearly a dwarf and another one is an ogre and then in the splintered fang there's a model which is clearly a elf that's turned to chaos oh cool so there's a lot of sampling of the setting um so the all points the, the eight points used to be known as the all points and it's this realm between realms it's where all the great gateways the realm gates open up so it's like a, a trans-dimensional hub between the eight mortal realms. And when Chaos invaded, it opened up port portals into the all points, took it over, uh, infected it with Chaos and everything. And that is now where Archeon has his citadel, the Varen Spire, and where they, you know, gather armies to go out into each of the mortal realms to take it over. So the all points has blended into chaos itself. Wow, that's, that's going to be a pretty rough place to uh, be hanging out. Yes, it will be. It will be really impressive. It's like, it's just, there's a lot going on there. And when we say it's a realm, it's a realm in its own right. So it's a massive, massive plane. Like, I say plane in the kind of esoteric sense of it's a dimension. Um, so that's 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 the layout. It's pretty brutal, and it's the great thing about the setting is, and James, you've seen the new books. Um, they don't look like typical Age of Sigmar Warhammer books we've seen before, because I think the the layout and art style has changed a lot. Yeah, they're. Um, I mean, I was I was really impressed with them. That like, they're they're really they're really nicely written. Like from a from a game design point of view, for myself. Um, there's some obviously like, like uh, well, well written technical language mm. in there. Um, all of the rules kind of make sense. The actual rules and understanding of it, like I flipped through it before, uh, like in half an hour before Chris came uh, came back yesterday, and I felt like I'd picked up how to play the game, and I think that was evident in in the game that we played. Usually yeah. I'm asking you for a lot of instructions when we uh, when we play new war games, whereas this one, you know, I made a I made a couple of mistakes um, trying to uh, <laughs> trying to do double moves and attacking and things, but um, it's just it's really nice, it's simple. The iconography in it uh, makes it, it has makes a, it so accessible. It has a very good graphical graphical look to it because when I picked it up and then I was going to uh, um, David Whitworth about it because we got it the day before we did our demo day at Fanboy 3 so we hadn't played the game but we'd read the rules so we went into GW Manchester to play our game there we were using their demo kit because like we were like we haven't had a chance to play it yet and um, uh, and the thing we commented about the book is it just doesn't look like any of the books I've brought out before for Age of Sigma it just has a different feel to it and the feel that it has actually it feels more like the books produced by Rackham back in the day for confrontation but I'll show you what I mean by that later there's just something about the, the look of it like the, the page threads with the silhouettes for each of the factions are really have a lot of impact for me and it says a lot about the game um, so yeah so what happens in Warcry you've got what um up to a each dozen, side is up 50, to 15, 15 maximum. I think that's a general rules. game is going to be about 10 yeah. models, really, yeah. or up to that. Um, so you have all those. You have all those. Um, oh wow, we're going to have to get rid of this advert out of this. Um, you have all these. You have your warband built, and you have a. You have to pick a leader. And there's different fighters. There's some basic fighters. There's some more advanced elite fighters, and then you've got some specialists in there. And the I think we build up how the game works is that you you've got your warband and you split them into three little smaller groups called a dagger, a shield, and a hammer. And that's going to really be about how you you have to distribute your warband 
because that will be related to how they deploy on the battlefield. And you do that before you know what the battlefield is, or what the mission is, or the deployment zone. So it really means you can't metagame the mission. You can't metagame the scenery. Yeah. And that gives some good balance. Yeah, and in fact that was that was a huge deal for our game because we'd we'd made all of these picks beforehand and then the, the terrain card came up and it it kind of pushes you towards well, it does push you to a, a certain layout. And I, I appreciate that because when I used to play Warhammer, uh, all the armies I used to fight against were ranged armies so they wanted no terrain on the battlefield oh, yeah. just plain line of sight to my poor Skaven as they marched under a hail of arrows whereas uh, the layout we got was a wall bisecting the battlefield corner to corner and I'd have, I'd have never picked that as a layout um, yeah exactly so so that's the thing is like in Warcry you get um, you get terrain packs and the terrain packs were guide you on how to put the train together. You don't have to follow it, and especially for Warcry in the box game that train is modular, so you can put it together in any way you want. But if you put it together in the suggested format, that means you've got terrain which will match the cards. So what you get is a deck of cards which randomly you pick from, and that directs you on how to lay out the train. Then you pick a deployment zone card, which has points on it, markers to say where your troops are going to be placed on the board or where they will turn up as reserves. And then you start putting the models on the board following that. Then you get the victory conditions, and that tells what the mission is. And that's where things get a little interesting because now your deployment may not be beneficial for what you're trying to do. So we had a, I had to defend some treasure and you had to steal it all. Yeah, and the de and the terrain was not great for that. No, the the big wall in the middle. It felt like it was going to be quite a uh, quite a problem. Um, but the movement rules are really nice uh, as far as uh, jumping, uh, traveling up and down surfaces, and uh, I actually ended up running a few of my plane striders across the top of a wall. Basically, uh, I mean, they, they they jumped, but thematically they yeah uh, the game ninja ran across the game's quite good with like with movement as in if you can do a move, which means you can get from point A to point B, if they're both elevated platforms, you can do that move. It's almost like saying doing parkour, which is so it feels very dynamic and it makes me interested in making big terrain where you can jump between outcrops of rock and you know throw people off the buildings and so forth. Um, so once you've got the, the mission, and which obviously for me wasn't too bad because I was playing Nighthorn, so everything in my army flies and so ignores yeah. terrain. Yeah, and that's when we—that's uh, when you go for the twist. And the twist uh, was pretty bad for you. <laughs> yeah, the twist really got me. That was—it uh, was Swampland. So all of my, uh, all of anyone starting on the floor, of, or anyone starting movement action on the floor, reduces their movement. Unless they happen to fly, so all yeah. of uh, all of your lofty lofty ghosties. Yeah, it was pretty good. So, okay, so that's that's basically how the game got. There'll be pictures of this, so you can see. Um, that's how the, the mission scenario was laid out, and then the game proceeds. So, Warcry has a nice balancing element with um, with initiative. So each person rolls sixty-six. Person the most singles, so you count up the number of doubles, triples, and quadruples, and then and any singles results left behind, those are grouped together. So the person with the most singles has the initiative, and then the person with the initiative spends a wild dice, they can upgrade a single to a double, a double to a triple, a triple to a quadruple. You can only spend one wild die on every number set to do that, so you can't do turn a, a single singular six into a triple six you can't do that so you can you can bank your wild die between turns um and that's good because the person that has the initiative has less options because the doubles and triples are used to activate abilities in the game and they give you the thematic elements to the warbands yeah there's there's a really satisfying mechanic like it feels really satisfying mechanically to balance out that that lots of options 
you know, you have the initiative to be able to make the moves when you need them. Yeah. Um, and that just that felt really good. If you never, when I would roll a huge amount of ones in a turn, it was never, oh my gosh, I've nerfed myself this turn, I'm not going to be able to compete. It was, okay, yeah, I can take advantage of this. Yeah. Um, so once you've done that and the initiative is done, the person who has the initiative is obviously going to choose who gets to go first. So the game is a alternating activation where I activate a model, then you do back and forth, back and forth. And when a model activates, it gets two actions in a turn. And those actions are either move, fight, disengage, or wait. Wait is a bit like, I think we won't cover it, it's really just about picking and choosing how you want to do your move. You, so you can sacrifice your action to move later in the turn, or fight later in the turn, which there could be a, there could be a technical reason for doing that. Like you've got someone with a good aura ability, like who's buffing everyone who doesn't need to move until they need to move later. Um, movement is quite obvious, as we said, you move number of inches, model has movement rating, they can move, they can climb up buildings, they can jump off buildings and jump between buildings, uh, they can, if they've got fly, they can fly. Um. But one restriction with moving is that you can't move out of uh, combat if you're engaged with someone, mm -hmm. which is where disengage comes in. Yeah, and that's really important because that will that I think is important. So, unlike Guild Ball, Guild Ball you can measure at any time, but you, it's very like the moment you're in someone's combat range, you're engaged by them, or if they're in your combat range, they're engaged by you. And it's all very the moment you you enter that range, you're engaged by them. That doesn't that isn't how Warcry works. You have to once you've ended your movement in range, which is a one inch range, you're engaged. But some fighters, of course, have combat ranges for their close combat weapons that are longer than one inch, like spears and scythes and whips and, and other things. So that's important because it means then there's a balance in, like, you can move up and attack someone at range, but if they're going to attack you back, they have to move closer. But also... You know, because of the disengage rule that if you're within one inch the only way you can move away from someone is to perform a disengage action you are limited in what you get for that disengagement because your movement is reduced you can only move three inches not your full range so for, if you can lock down you can use your, min, your, your weaker minions to really lock down enemy fighters so they can't just run away and you know, fuck up someone else and in fact, we both used that uh, in our game yesterday. Um, Chris managed to engage one of my treasure, my fleeing treasure bearers, um, and towards the end, I I threw a guy into the unfortunate blades of your yeah, spirit horn, just to prevent him being able to move and engage um, your leader, who clearly had another, who had another treasure um, that I needed to prevent him taking away. So disengage, and I think that's important. It's like the because of the the way the action sequence works, and the idea of disengaging, and and the fact that some missions are not about ki just killing everyone in the opponent's force. It's about their specific missions. It makes you think about sacrificing fighters that gets you towards your your um, your objective, and that's good because it just means you, you you're not doing this whole cage you like you know just trying to steamroller someone you're you're playing in a very different way uh, where you're really tactically thinking and that came up a lot in our game yeah some of my some of my fighters never moved into melee range with your characters simply because once they got the treasure their whole their they whole use of the battlefield in the battle was to be out of the way um, you used the right ones because the planes runners were the ones with the highest movement. Yeah, there was, and thanks to their high movement, you know, the uh, the swamp reducing it. I mean, that that made it very scary when your characters could otherwise just fly over any terrain. Yeah, because all of my stuff would move five or six. Yeah, and that's not being reduced either. So I, 
I ended up using quite a lot of uh, engaging to try and. So yeah, the combat system is like so. We said about movement. Movement's fairly simple. Disengagement fairly simple. Weight action is fairly simple. So combat again is incredibly simple. So a model has a range on its weapons. Sometimes there's a minimum range because it's a ranged weapon. Uh, then they also have the number of dice you roll for it, which is the number of attacks. You then have the strength of the weapon and the amount of damage it does. So if you and your target model that you're fighting will have a toughness rating. So if your strength is higher, you 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 hit and wound because it's all one roll. If you hit any dice roll that rolls higher is a hit and a wound. There's no saves. No roll to hit, roll to wound, roll to save, which makes things very fast. So if you've got higher strength and toughness, you hit on threes. If it's equal, you hit on fours. If it's lower than your their toughness, you're hitting on fives. Then damage is done in the sense that, in the following manner, that um, weapons models have their weapons have two values. They have a regular damage and a critical damage. Mm -hmm. So, for example, a planes runner's swords I think had a, a one and a three. So that means any hit they deal deals one point of damage, but any critical deals three points of damage. So a critical's done on a roll of a six to hit in combat, regardless of what the strength and toughness is. Which is great because if you if you think about how this works, it represents I think yeah, I think it represents that if you play a game of regular classic Warhammer Fantasy Battle, if you do all the maths and you work out the averages over the entire game, it works out exactly as this. But they've taken that and compress it into one action of combat. Now you're thinking, oh wow, models are dealing one to three or two to two and have a critical of a four or five, or some of the monsters are doing like, on a critical hit are doing like, the new Chimera does critical damage of, of, of like 10. That's gonna kill a lot of guys. And that's because models have multiple wounds. So like your planes runners had a basic wound characteristic of about eight. Yeah, I think eight. Um, the elite troopers generally about ten. Ten to maybe fifteen. And then our leaders have somewhere in the region of twenty to twenty-five. And there are some monsters, even in basic warbands, that go up to like thirty and forty. So the spirit has like thirty wounds. Um, the uh, flesh terror courts have um, their big crypt ghouls have like forty wounds. It's insane. So it's very, it feels very satisfying in a very MMO kind of tower defense type game or, or dungeon raid type game where you're just doing one roll to hit, does everything, and you just count up the hit points and you're watching that health bar get knocked off. Yeah, combat's, combat's nice and quick. Everyone, everyone feels quite meaty in combat, just, uh, you know, they're... They're solid hits, taking off quite a large amount of someone's health, but it's enough that there's also some some play in that. The criticals, especially, mean that you can't you can't just math your way to victory. You don't yeah. look at the battlefield and go, "There's only three guys close to this character. They can only do three. You know, they can only do two damage each. So this person's got eight health, so he's totally fine. I actually don't need to worry about them surviving at all." The criticals mean that every like lots of characters are potentially at risk. If you have a lucky turn, your plane strider might take out might take out an opposing champion. Yeah, quite quite possibly so. Um, and also because if you think about it, with the way the turn sequence works, if you're already engaging, if you're already in your combat range or someone, you can just do two actions. You can do a fight action followed by another fight action. So you're getting two lots of attacks in which is also great. So what adds into this all is special abilities. Yeah. So abilities, there are generic abilities and there are faction-based abilities. And abilities work in the following way. So those doubles and triples and quadruples we were talking about are spent to activate abilities. And abilities will say whether they activate off a, off a double or you need to spend a triple or a quadruple. And 
they will do things where they either like say you spend the double and you do onslaught which is a universal ability and it adds plus one attack for the model for the entire activation so if they've got three attacks on a sword it goes up to four that means you're rolling four dice on each attack action they do in that turn which is great if they're already standing next to somebody because that's uh, that's eight attacks in the yeah. Or what can be quite important, especially if you're wanting to slow someone down and engage them and lock them in position, is you might need to run across the battlefield, is Rush, which gives you plus one movement characteristic for the activation. Um, there's a triple, which is Respite, which is as long as you're one inch away from the enemy, you get back a number of wounds equal to the value of the triple spent. So the value is if you have, you rolled a triple five, the value is a five, and that is the number of wounds you get back. Yeah, it's quite nice because it adds it adds a little bit more variance to just getting doubles and triples. And in fact, there was a point where I uh, I had enough to do a harpoon throw, but I only had uh, I only I had a triple one, and that means that I'm only able to pull someone one inch. And actually, that's not. That wasn't a huge advantage, so I had to. I looked at other ways to use that. But still, it was okay on that one because it gives you an extra attack. Technically, it's an extra attack as well. So even though it's a yeah. triple one on the pull, it's still an extra attack at range. Yeah. So it's still there's still an upside to yeah, it. Yeah. There's always you're you're never going to look at an ability and go this is completely pointless because I got a low value, but it also means that you know you you can yeah. get more. Of it. There's a little bit more. I think the most important triple is of the universal ones is the triple inspiring presence so that's where you activate your leader you spend use this ability and then once he's finished his activation that turn you activate another model in your warband immediately so if you need to like you know, gang up on someone you can do that so abilities these abilities are triggered either you spend the the, the, the value you, you spend the double triple or quadruple you spend it before uh, an ac uh, action in your model's turn or after. And if you do a wait action, you can spend it before or after the wait action. And if you've waited, then later in the turn, you can activate that model again for its other action, and then they can do another ability. So that's the only time you break the rule. So again, with abilities also, you can only do one ability per turn with a model per activation for a model unless they're the last man standing in which case they get to use as many abilities as they want all different ones but they get to use as many as they want um which is a nice it's a it's a nice catch-up mechanic really yeah um if you're if you've had a really bad bad game and you're down to one guy that guy suddenly goes all rambo and <laughs> you know. he, he literally just goes shouts mortal combat begins and like starts decking everyone yeah uh the other one so those are the universal abilities we've said about the there's a quad which does like massive amounts of rampage damage yeah you increase your uh you increase your amount of attacks and your strength equal to half the value i think it is and that's that's the untamed beast quad oh. i think the other one is you get another move and attack action which is still pretty darn sweet yeah so on top of all this Every warband has a faction-specific set of abilities. So, Untamed Beasts have a lot of stuff where they they buff their movement and strength, um, or they can do things where they've got a model who's a beast. So, some of these can only be used by certain models in the faction. So, like there's the beast, the, the beast, um, the beast tamer, beast tamer, who basically can use a triple for this ability that's specific to just her and it means that she's within four inches of the big monster you've got the the um and this is actually it'll be true of not just that but any thrall beast ah, she can cool. so it becomes more useful when you get thralls she cracks a whip and they get to make a free attack action yeah and it's not necessarily against the target she's fighting yeah so it means again you can you can there's there's much like War Machine Hordes or Gilboy, there are buffs and turn sequence shenanigans which can result in some really interesting dynamic gameplay. Uh, like the harpoon attack you said, there's one where you get free attack with the guy, the, the first fan who has a harpoon, and as a result can drag someone back. 
Yeah, and if it if it hadn't been for the fact that Chris was playing the night horns that all fly, I would have taken impact damage or falling. Yeah. Yeah, as I pulled pulled his guy off a ledge. Um, and then for like the night horns, you get some really flavoursome stuff. Like if you've got your minion fighters next to each other, they can start causing buffs on each other, so they get plus one attack and plus one strength, which is yeah. You've got the basic minion model at strength three with three attacks is now at strength four with four attacks which is pretty great or um, of course the most one of the most important things for a night horse army or any undead army um, is being able to bring your models back so you can summon a fighter back onto the battlefield if he's been killed so again these cards bring the thematic elements into each of the factions and it's not loads and I think the great thing about the design of the cast, and this goes back to you saying about the iconography and everything, has been well designed. I don't think I don't feel overwhelmed by the icons. The icons guide you to what to look at on the cards. Yeah, like none of none of the cards have advanced special rules written on them. If you're playing against someone who's using a warband that you've never seen before, pretty much all you need to do is have a look at their abilities sheet. And that will pretty much prepare you for anything yeah. that you're going, like any surprises that they might pull. Unlike a game of Magic the Gathering where maybe you turn up to play and someone goes, "Well, surprisingly, I've got these cards that mean the whole game is going to work this completely different way." Now. Or like Guild Ball. So on Guild Ball, Guild Ball at its core is a very simple game, but the cards for each of the models has a whole list of abilities on there yeah. that you need to read. There's yeah. a lot of text. Yeah, if you played a game of Guild Ball and you didn't know the other person's team, you really would need to read every single character on their team and you know then you're also trying to get, understand all the interconnectedness between them because every every model in Warcry generally only has one one or two faction specific abilities hmm. and some of them yeah, because there'll be generally one faction ability that's universal to the entire faction, and then there'll be one which that model can use, and there'll be another one which that model may also potentially be able to use. I think it's rare to have a faction model that has access to like more than two specific abilities on the cards. Yeah, I, th I think usually the usually the lowest double is, and the a, is, uh, is universal, and the highest quadruple is, is universal in the faction. Yeah. So it's a lot. It doesn't feel as dense to get into. Yeah, I. I mean, I absolutely. I loved it, and we've we've played some really complex. We've played Batman. Games. Batman is so. Yeah. I like. I like it visually. And thematically, but there are so many abilities across so many things. Every turn required us consulting consulting the rule book or the uh, the app with the. I mean, if we didn't have the app oh, with penetrable. the referenced abilities in it, we would not have got anywhere with those games. Yeah. Um, whereas Warcry, just smooth. Warcry's rules fit onto core rules fit onto about two pages of A4. Yeah, there's an insert in the core box, isn't there? Yeah. And that's that's basically all you really need to read to. So, yeah, that's how Warcry works. And the other cool thing about the card packs, so the cards that you either get in the faction boxes or the card packs to use with factions, is all of the cards for the fighters don't have text on them. They just have num all the, the symbols that tell you about weapons, Yeah. the symbols that tell you which abilities to reference, and numbers for the how the weapons operate. So that means they're universal to any language. Which is great. Yeah, and I mean that especially. Like, it's a it's a game that also lends itself to tournament play. Yes. Um, and that the fact that you can have cross language tournament players. Someone turns up and you know if they speak German and you speak English, you're still mostly going to look at those characters and understand what they do. I mean the 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 scariest bit would be uh, the abilities sheet. But I think we then, didn't even say that. It's like the the um. The area of play, so when you get the Warcry box or you get the train kits, they come with a fold-out uh, board. And the fold-out board is double-sided, so one side is specific to the terrain kit that you've got, and the other side is more generic, but they can be tessellated together to create larger play spaces. They are a 3 foot, they're 36 by 20... 
24. That'd be 3 by 2. Uh, I'm trying to think. 8 by... It doesn't say how big they are in there. I can, if you go to the deployment zone maps at the back, I think I can estimate it. Um, so that's 6 inches on. That's 8 inches. So there's 16. 16, 32. Yeah, well that, that'll be 2 because that's 6 to get halfway in. So it, yeah, it's 3 by 2. So that's two. 6, 12, 24. So I think they're 3 by... They're about three by two or thereabouts. Mm. So it all fits on the kitchen table. With yeah. with so on my kitchen table it's uh, four foot by three foot space. Um, you end up with plenty of space for tokens and dice and yeah. paraphernalia. And it it never felt like we had like it never felt like our characters were cramped on yeah. there. Um, there was always Especially, I think, with the fact that some of our characters in the scenario that we were playing came on in later turns. You want a smaller battlefield because then, um, I mean, even my guys who are slowed down by the swamp still got to a point where yeah. they could actually be useful in the combat. They weren't just isolated. Some of the, some some of the missions are quite good because they force you into the middle of the battlefield because if you're, at, if you're within four inches of the edge of the battlefield, you die. Oh. So it forces you to get into a brawl. Wow, that so sounds that's, very battle royale. Really, yeah, big, so that's been good. Um, but yeah, like the trinket's really great for that. Um, and the ones you get in the the expansion boxes hmm. fold up smaller. So yeah. whereas these these were uh, uh, twofold boards, so that it bought, the board is divided into quarters and folds up. The other ones are divided into eighths. And fold up. Oh. So if that's how it all, all the train fits into that one box quite happily. Uh, so at some point I might get another train kit. I don't know yet. I haven't worked it out. Um, so the other thing that I think is really important about Warcry is again we're getting more flavour about Age of Sigma because Age of Sigma when it first came out seemed a bit too uh, good guys versus bad guys. It was Stormcast versus Chaos. And then Soul Wars came out, and you were like, oh, hold on, the most interesting bad guy is Bat, and it's Nagash, and the undead. And we've got the Night Haunt, so we know what undead, that's just pure ghosts, and that has a lot of theme to it. And now, we've got the other elven factions. We've got elven factions that are order, but they're also evil. Or they're... Or like the Idlers Deacon, they don't have souls, so they, they have to go out and steal souls. But they're still a good guy faction. Yeah, that's cool. And <laughs> we have now these Chaos Warbands, which don't belong to any particular Chaos God. And we're getting more flavour about what the ore points are like. And this is really just a great primer because, of course, Cubicle 7 are creating the Age of Sigma roleplay game. So now we have wonderful terrain kits, wonderful models that represent things we've never seen before in in Warhammer, which really say more about the chaos cults that exist in the, the in the eight mortal realms. Those are brilliant models for the roleplay game. It's going to be amazing. Yeah, and there's um there's still two factions that are mentioned in the core book that haven't had models yet, so that's going to be even more interesting and stuff to come. the core book doesn't have any of the cards for any of the factions, so it's, the, the book doesn't become outdated very quickly. We haven't even talked about how campaigns work, but I think that's something else we'll do another time. Yeah. There's a whole great... The game has a very strong narrative element to it, and it really so does suggest, like, use the terrain, create a narrative if you want to play through. Um, and of course related to narrative is the new expansion that came out like the other weekend which is the mercenary monsters and mercenaries so again it gives you more campaigns it gives you more models to use from the range which which are basically mercenaries and allies so like i've got a gaunt summoner i can use uh, I have the other hero models from Soul Wars to use in my Nightborn's army. Uh, of course, all any Chaos model is pretty much usable with any of the Chaos Warbands. And then we've got monsters. And this is where we're slowly seeing, I think, what I would say is that 
Warcry has a strong Kingdom Death feel to it. Yeah, yeah, like especially, I mean, especially as you push forward towards campaigns, um, there's there's that element of progression there. Uh, I mean, it's it's a kind of Kingdom Death light, really, because you've uh, you don't have a huge amount of depth to delve into in advancement, but that also, I mean, that works really nicely with the the way the campaigns are. Uh, Asymmet I mean, we don't want to delve from them too much, but they've got asymmetrical, like progression. Um, progression. You're not. Uh, You're not having to play catch up with everyone else. Yeah, and that is. I mean, that's that is amazing. There is some really clever work that has been. Because that enables pop-up games at stores where someone turns on and everyone goes right. Anyone that comes down, we're playing campaign games. But that means if they're all from different places they've never met each other before as long as they're playing campaign they've got their their campaign sheet they can play which is amazing whereas Necromunda you can't really do that in Necromunda I mean Necromunda has some self-balancing for like if you're the underdog and there's some kind of fun for that but yeah and then of course monsters added into it you know you've now got huge monsters new missions that you can either fight them to kill them to take their stuff classic kingdom death right there right there <laughs> Or it's you fight them because they're faction specific and you can then hire them into your warband. Which is exciting. Yeah. And so there's now models I'm looking at like going, okay, I need one of those. Like I've got a Chimera. I need to get the Terrorgeist, because that can be used in any of the undead warbands. And I need to get a um uh what else do I want? I just want to get the the um Anakarok. Yeah, spider because I don't have a goblin warband yet <laughs> but first of all I want a goblin warband because there's an excuse there to have a goblin warband but also that spider I can use to fight I mean you can use it in regular games as a roaming monster which is just a crazy idea like you just go both players go right we're going to play this mission and you draw the twist card it goes place place um, you know roaming monster down and you're just like uh, I've got an Arach I've got an the spider thingy. Do you want to play against that? And everyone just goes, yes. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I'm sure there are definitely people who will put themselves up to that punishment. I think it's just hilarious. Um, but also, it's a great model because I want to use it for um, Necromunda mm. because there's giant spiders in the underhive of Necromunda. Ooh. So I want to kill it with laser guns. <laughs> And then also the other fact, because we, right now, which we haven't used in a, in a game yet, is the, the the thrall monsters. So again, these are the ro roaming monsters that you can place down with the twist cards. So there's furies, which are a type of demon, and there's the raptorics, which are these kind of chaotic bird thingy raptor type creatures. But now in the mercenaries book, they've introduced three more options that you can use in your game, which are the razor boars. Yeah, which okay. are the from the Beastman army. Ah, there's the Chaos Spawn. The Chaos Spawns, which again you can use in Necromunda as well. Because mm -hmm. I need them for my Chaos cult um, gang. So I need to get some Chaos Spawn. And then of course there are the Chaos Warhounds. Mm -hmm. So the fun thing about this of course is also all the warbands from, from, uh, from Warcry, all the ones that you can buy, the new ones, they all have a war scroll for use in Age of Sigmar. So by the time you've got, you know, because it's very easy to dip your toe in and go, I've got a warband, I've bought the box game and I've got two warbands, and you go, oh, I'll buy another warband because like, I want another warband. And then you go, oh, I'll buy another one of those. Oh, I've got some, I need the Furies, and I've got the Raptorix. And it's like, you actually, you, you total up the number of units you now got, and you go, oh, wait a minute. Chaos Army for Age of Sigma, that's completely mental. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of people who suddenly are now playing I've, Chaos. I've now got a Chaos Army. I know <laughs> I've got a Chaos Army because I've got a... I've got the Iron Golems Warband. Yep. I've got the uh, Untamed Beast. Yep. I've got the Scythe Lords. I've got a Gaunt Summoner. I've got the models from Silver Tower, which are the Arknight... Um, Cultists, which I wish I had a warband um, rules for, which I think they'll bring out cards eventually for. I've got Gaunt Summoner as a commander, and I've got Chimera, and I've got the Furies. Yeah, I said the Furies and Raptors. I think I've got a small. I've almost got. I think I've almost got a thousand points there. 
fantastic, isn't it? So, and I mean, this is this is something that Games Workshop are doing that is like super smart. They are making sure that all of their all of their models have multiple uses. This is what you were saying about um, Aeronautica Imperialis, which is their new uh, fighter jet fighter combat game. Yeah. You were talking about how this is agile programming applied to. Ad, yeah, agile, agile development. So in uh, the the Warcry as Warcry as it stands, they've produced it as like this is this is a viable product in and of itself. But now they can iterate into it. Um, they're they're doing things as they need them. Like the monsters and mercenaries came out. That suddenly gives rules for a whole bunch of models they already have. Um, it's just this really nice way of rolling stuff out. They can do things as they have it. I mean, the, as I say, there's two warbands that are listed in the main book but aren't out yet, but we're going to get them at some point. You know, they don't have to have those things immediately available because the rules aren't in the core book. The rules will come out when the models do. So you've not got this, like, you've got excitement that you're building. You're building hype, but you're, uh, like, you're not... You've not got people waiting for those to be delivered and not we, being able to we were talking about this, like the whole point is like with agile development is that you are doing sprints to add a, a, a minimum deliverable product. And that product has a feature. Right? Yeah, like you, you start with a minimal viable product and then in your sprints you add additional features to it. So the minimum viable product in this is always the miniatures. Because the miniatures are the main is the minimum viable product because ultimately Games Workshop makes money selling miniatures. But the only way to sell miniatures is they've got to have a use. <coughs> yeah. So they have to... Because like, if you're developing a whole new game, if you've got to make all the miniature range for it, it's all got to be ready to be delivered with the new game. Or you do this. You do Warcry or you do Aeronautica, where you go, well, we've got aircraft. Say, because let's let's be honest, Aeronautica Imperialis is the same scale as Adeptus Titanicus, which you know, read between the lines, that's epic. That's epic coming back somewhere along the lines. But it would t- it just it takes a lot of time to develop all the miniatures to bring out a brand new version of epic. But they design the Titans for the Imperials. What's the best way they can sell Titans? You've only designed Titans for one of the factions. How do you sell that? Well, they're Chaos, they're Imperial, and it's the Horus Heresy. Done. You sell one range of miniatures, the smallest range of miniatures that you have to do, but you're able to deliver it to the customers within a game, within an app. Within a within a within a, uh, yeah. a a product, you're not just selling the you're not just selling them as really like vanity objects. No. You're selling them. This is this is a boxed game in and of itself. But then eventually, that is going to expand to a point where they can do all this stuff. And I mean, Warcry, they've got they they did six factions, I think, for, at the beginning. Yeah. But also, there are rules in there for six entirely other factions using models we already have we've got the night horns, deep king yeah. night horns um we've got witch elves all kinds of like all kinds of stuff and that's like, huge that's a really smart move and the other great thing about those factions going back to it is about accessibility is because of this agile kind of approach like like let's talk about the whoa if we talk about the witch elves they're a brilliant example of this so if you want to get started with witch elves, you can buy any single one of their troop boxes, and that is a warband. Mm. So you can buy the basic witch elves on foot, that's a warband, because they have a model which can be your leader. Or you can buy the the snake lady, the snake witch elves, they've got so very Medusa Gorgon-like. That is a warband because it has a leader model in it that you can use or you can buy the i think they're called the canary which are the bat winged ones yeah again they have a leader model in it you can use them and again each of those boxes the models can be built in one of two ways so you've still got unit choices in there as well for your warband the goblin faction is it the gloom spike or exactly the same if you buy the box of goblins or you buy squig hoppers and you can do and there's options and they're like, you know, either they've got spears or they've got bows, or if they're squig hoppers, they've got swords or they've got spears. 
and all of that is each one of those is a is a minimum viable warband. Or if you buy it, if you collect everything later, and you go, oh, I, I want to have some goblin, more goblins on foot because I've got squid hoppers. I want them on foot. You can get those. So it, it's this modularity where you've got a feature in one game that can be brought into another game, and the other game's brought out models as a feature. That's actually for a future product. Yeah, and. I mean the uh, what's it the uh, the undead legion that you've got. You're actually using some of the models that you got from a shade spy box. Yeah, because pro- I'm just proxying them, but they're effectively they're on the right size basis, and yeah. it's just like I'm just using them as um, uh, what do I call them? Uh, Grave guard. because yeah. they've got better armor and spears and so forth. I mean, I'm going to have to get a necromancer model because my white lord, which I'm proxying as a necromancer, is now actually a mer- is a, actually a mercenary that can be hired for them. So, so that's kind of fun. So, and there's apparently like three years worth of releases uh, lined up, like three years worth of support for Warcry, which is a good life cycle. Yeah, I'm I'm sure that as they as they work on stuff for Age of Sigmar, that means that anything that gets done now is also going to be able to. Hey, we've released we've released some new Skaven. Suddenly this, there's some Skaven. And this, is, this also works into their thing of like not everyone wants to be able to wants to collect fifty models or more to play to, to have an army. This is about letting everyone play how they want. Yeah. Like this is a big box. Yeah, it's it's night quid box, but you get a whole load of terrain, and that is a, it's a self-contained experience. If that's just what you want, yeah, that's it. If you want to have one case, one small case full of models, that can be your whole war. It all goes back in the box, which is yeah, crazy. Um, or like, and this is even more true in uh, Aeronautica Imperialis, is what about a fifty quid box, and that is a self-contained game. Like, the playmat is paper, so let's just say you'll likely buy the card version just because of the durability. But still, you don't need to buy anything else. You can just do fight orcs versus imperial fighter jet planes on a hex grid because that's how it operates. And you don't have to collect any more stuff ever. But you have the option. Yeah. Um, Actually, we might play this when we go back, so it might just be a good good laugh because it doesn't take long to play. Um, is um, is uh, what's it called? Gangs of Kamara was an example of this. Self-contained. It's a uh, dark Eldar jet bikes oh, yeah. and skyboards, and it plays a bit like uh, X-wing. Self-contained. Don't need to collect anything else. You can do. You can buy some Harlequins and have them as another gang type. You can buy more jet bikes and more um, Hellions and mix and match to make weird warbands with them, but you, that's it. So, it's... Yeah, I can't believe I've still got that. I need to play more of it. It's actually really simple. Again, that's actually closer to Warcry. Things have hit points, and it's just rolled to hit. Yeah. But this... We we did mention earlier that like it's really it's really interesting with all of these extra products as well that Games Workshop is really getting an opportunity to uh, to test rule sets. So um, I mean no one no one wants to hear that okay you know we're we're rolling this thing out as a trial to see if these rules work because um, you you hope a lot of testing is done beforehand and there obviously has been a lot of testing in this to make sure it all works smoothly. But it also means that you get to really see how a community deals with like. How do you like how do you like this rule set? Like how do you like characters with a whole bunch more hit points? You know, is this maybe a way for us to push in, the, in forwards? And you know, we've had we've had Kill Team doing small squads. Then we we've had Gangs of Gamora. You know, they well, had Kill to, Team's done well enough that they're bringing out they've brought out recently a new core box, new edition essentially. Was that the one it, uh, with the rogue traders and the? the no, they've done they've done technically. There's this box number three. Wow. So rogue yeah, Trader was a self-contained version. Yeah. That was all 2D because you're on inside a spaceship. Yeah. The new one is um, a repackage of some terrain, a new board to play on, and um, oh, and you've got Space Wolf Primaris Marines versus Tau. Huh. And yeah. You've, yeah, it's just like 
fine, okay. And I'm considering getting into Kill, Kill Team because I don't play 40k and I don't have a single interest of collecting a huge army. But Kill Team does scratch an itch that, for, that Necromunda also does quite well for me, which is that classic 40k second edition scale of game where it wasn't much more than 20 models aside. Where every model was pretty much kitted out down to the last letter. Yeah, back back when all of your uh, goth orcs had frag and, like frag grenades on them. Yeah, and, and like you would you would have the odd marine armed with um, haywire grenades or or uh, hallucinogen grenades. So that's where I'm interested in things. And with the new Eldar they're teasing, I'm mostly going to get into it through that, I think. Because I just don't have an interest in painting huge armies. And this goes back to what Warcry's doing for me. I think Warcry is the only way I'm going to interact with Age of Sigma, other than the roleplay game. Mm. I'm not interested in playing large, long games that take hours to set up and play. Like, Age of Sigma's nice, but I'm not interested in huge games. And the thing is, is, this is why I'm also selling off War Machine Hordes, because it used to be a classic game of a Warcaster, his battle group of three to four warjacks, or it's a warlock and, and a number of war beasts, and then with it, you know, a unit of maybe a unit or two of small troops and a solo or two. Now it's like, you know, it's it's your battle group, four units of troops. You know, you're you're hitting that 50, 50 models or more level, yeah. where it takes a very long time to play, and because. Uh, War Machine Hordes is a game that you can pre-measure and it's very AOEs and mathematical geometry going on in that it people play it in an incredibly slow manner and will try out all their moves first, lay them all out work it all out, it's like watching the turn happen twice and yeah, I just, it just doesn't and also let's be honest their models haven't moved on much in the past few months or past few years really whereas games which the the models for warcry are exceptionally good yeah they're like each each of the uh, each of the factions seems really distinct and i imagine as as you're a hobbyist like it's probably quite appealing that you know if you buy a box of guys you get to paint something pretty much entirely different and new like if you if you get the serpents they're all using poisoned weapons and they've got kind of gladiatorial armour and that's very different to if you're painting the Untamed Beasts who are all bones and... Uh, like bones the Untamed Beasts are all bones and furs, Iron Golems are all metal and hammers and stuff. Um, yeah, the Splinter Fang have this really cool Greco-Roman kind of feel to them, like uh, Ray Harry Harrison's... Um, that's right. Was that Harry Harrison? You know, did all the stuff animation. Yeah. Um, and that's also why I like the undead in Age of Sigma now. They've also got a brand new undead army coming out. That's all. Um, so you know how you've got um, skeletons that have been risen up. You've got vampires. You've got flesh terror quartz, which is ghouls. Yeah. You know, humans have degenerated. You've got um, ghosts. You've now got bone construct armies. Oh. So where the troopers are made from bone, they're not a skeleton, they are made from pieces fabricated from bone. So they're a bit more like necrons. Creepy. They also have a kind of a Mongolian kind of silhouette to their armour. And also in the back of the in the back of the pictures for the uh, the, the release of these, you can see some new terrain being shown off. That's all bone based, which will look amazing for Warcry. Oh, they'll they'll definitely be. A, they'll be a Warcry war kit. Box. Yeah, they'll yeah. be so so will be a Warcry kit. I think that covers everything. We've been going on for a, a while, and it's a bit noisy. Um, sorry about that. We just found somewhere where we do a typical classic. We're in the same vicinity. Let's go record in a chilled out manner uh, in a classic coffee shop restaurant episode um, 
obviously Mike's bought Warcry and got into it. Uh, I don't know if he's played any yet, he's been quite busy, but he's quite excited by it as well. So it'll be fun to see how he, he and the guys in Boston play it, because I think he can meet up with the guy, some of the guys who've been playing Necromunda as well there. So um, it's always fun to find out what Mike's doing gaming in his local vicinity, because um, you know, we all have the same kind of taste in wargaming as well. Um, we will though catch up on this topic again when we've played a bit more campaign stuff with the monsters uh we will also catch up on this because i think when we get closer to when i can interrogate people at cubicle 7 about age of sigma roleplay um because uh yeah like obviously you know i'm gonna take my darker days radio hat off and put my cubicle 7 hat on and go because I'm writing stuff for 40k roleplay game and for Warhammer now, so um, I'm keen to t chat about Age of Sigmar from both uh, from the side of enjoying it as a product that I've got into, and then hopefully seeing it from the other side of the mirror, if that makes sense. Um, and and basically getting to because I said like Age of Sigmar didn't get me excited when it first came out. Now. Now I freaking love it because Warhammer, like we love Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay, but it was very much a pseudo renaissance, our world but different, dark grim fantasy. Yeah. It's, Whereas Age Sigma towards towards the creepy and the kind of folkloresque. Yeah. Whereas Age Sigma is like the same thrill that I get from that I used to get from Confrontation. And Rackham stuff, which is epic, dark fantasy. Like, it's everything's on a huge scale. And that's cool. Right, um, I think we'll leave it there. Uh, I'm not going to ask if you're going to collect Warcry yet. I think you most, from the feeling, you might collect something, because you know you can. There's a, there's a there's a route to doing minimum investment to get into it at a later point. But, yeah, you know. if they if I, they release some Skaven cards, then I'll be painting up my uh, my remaining uh, gutter runners. But I I really like the models for the uh, the Corvus, and I'm very tempted to just buy a box of those to have something to do hobby wise. Really easy to contrast paint. Every, yeah. Everything I've painted has been done with contrast paints. Um, on that note then, if you want to get in contact with Darker Days Radio, you can find us uh, at www.darker-days.org. You can contact us on Facebook, you can find us on Twitter at Darker Days Radio, you can find us on Instagram, you can find us on WordPress where we'll have pictures. We'll try and do a little bit of a back rep. Let's see what we can do. Yeah, we've, we've made some notes and we took some, uh, to some good pictures. Um, we will also have, well, or you can, of course, find our Discord in the show notes and come uh, chat to us about gaming there in any flavour. Um, is that it? Obviously, if you want to pr pick up products created by the Dog Days Radio team, you can go to the Storytellers Vault and you can get such things as Venice Unmasked, uh, The Hunger Within and Ashes of Memory or get a nice bundle deal where it's all cheaper. And James, you've got some products up on the DMs Guild for D&D. Yeah, uh, I've got a, a, a race of tiny jellyfish people um, and I have a collection of magical, like fun, slightly magical items for your game that hopefully won't, uh, won't boost your power curve off. Yep. And uh, obviously, like I said, there's another episode that's been recorded, I think, this weekend with uh, Mike and I believe Crystal. They'll be chatting about a uh, something from the Secret Frequency. So that'll be in the episode that'll be previous to this. So you can go back and listen to that. Um, it's really weird we're doing like two episodes at the same time. I thought I'd be too busy with um, the birthday party this weekend to do an episode. But, you know, whatever. Um, oh, there was something else I was going to say. Um, and also, if you want to check out some other good content, there is always our friends at Full Metal RPG. Uh, we had an interview with them a few months back, me and Mike. Uh, then there's also our friends at Gehenna Gaming, who are, that Mike is teaming up with to do uh, some demos at Pax Unplugged for Vampire. Uh, 
and uh, who else is there? There's our friends at the Effect Podcast who cover all the great games by Free League. So they've been doing stuff obviously related to Alien, Coriolis, and Tales from the Loop. Uh, and let's see what's the other thing to say. And of course, in October. Uh, 19th Fanboy 3 in Manchester myself and David Whitworth will be running for Cubicle 7 demos of Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay 4th Edition with a completely brand new scenario (gasps) exciting stuff so there's a lot of shit going on and I think with that we'll, we'll, we will say goodbye. I've been trying to think, what do we even call our, call our listeners of Dark Ghost Ray? I don't think they're quite cultists. I need to find find out if you've got an idea of what you want to be referred to. Do you want to be cultists? Do you want to be... Um, uh, what's another good term? Ghouls? Uh, ooh, uh, Minions? The, the spooky squad. <laughs> the spooky squad. We'll figure it out. Because um, then we can always get T-shirts designed for that on uh, on uh, Redbubble. Um, and with that, we will say goodbye. So, ciao for now. Ciao, guys. Ciao.